Hi, my name is David Orlovsky, and welcome to the Rabbi Orlovsky Show, which comes to you every week through the magic of the internet, through a half an hour of time together, which is interesting because I got an email from somebody who said, a half an hour is just not enough time. There should really be more time. And then I got an email today from someone who said, a half an hour is just the perfect time. Don't do any more. <laughs> it's just enough. Somebody else told me a podcast isn't, isn't a half an hour. A podcast is supposed to be like, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you know, a half an hour. That's already a show. So uh, just throwing that out there. So it reminds me when I was davening for the Ahmed, I was in one particular mo- minion. This is when I was saying Kaddish for my mother. And, um, and uh, I asked the Gabbai, how do I know if I'm doing okay? And he says, if five people tell you you're going too fast and five people tell you you're going too slow, then you're doing perfect. And that made me realize that if everybody tells you that it's going great, then there's something seriously wrong. And that, by the way, is a fascinating story. Maybe I'll tell it. Um, I have a little time. Yeah, uh, th- the story itself is ironic on a lot of different levels, but this, this particular fellow, this particular rabbi was telling a story to his Talmidim um, about how uh, he started a chesed vad when he was in yeshiva. I won't mention the name of the yeshiva. Uh, he started a chesed vad, and uh, after a couple of weeks, the Rosh Shiva said, how's it going? And he says, Gavaldic, everybody's helping, everyone's doing what they're supposed to be doing, and it's terrific, it's just great, everything's great. And he saw the Rosh Shiva looked unhappy, you know, and, um, and uh, he saw him about a month later, and he says, how's it going? He says, terrible, nobody's doing what they said they were going to do, and everybody's disappointing us and you know and uh, the whole thing's falling apart I don't even know if I should continue it the Rosh Hashim said Baruch Hashem he says Baruch Hashem when I told you everything was going well you weren't happy when I told you things were falling apart you were you were uh, you look, now, you're, now you're happy he says when you told me everything was going great you start a chesed vad your whole purpose is to go out there and do chesed and the Yetzirah is nowhere to be seen he's not trying to stop you he's not trying to slow you down I thought to myself, it must be, you are the Yetzirah. You're the Yetzirah. And, um, and uh, I was going to actually have my son leave the organization. I was, so, I was so concerned. Now that I hear you're having problems, I know it must be going well, because the Yetzirah is trying to stop you, and he gave him chizek, you know that. This is the story of the fellow turned. As it turned out, years later, he really was the Yetzirah. <laughs> I was involved in all kinds of terrible things. But anyhow, it's just ironic. But the insight remains the same, and that is that if nobody's complaining, that's when you have to be suspicious. Now, if everybody says you're doing well, that's when you have to get nervous. Yeah. When no one says anything, that's just apathy. And that we're, we're, we're going to also maybe speak about a little bit this week. But, uh, you know, uh, people have opinions. People have opinions. That's, that's part of it. I, I once wrote a little... Uh, post on this on Facebook about this idea, and maybe we'll talk about it uh, uh, another time. Dedicate a, dedicate a show to that about opinions. Yeah, but on the subject of opinions, I don't know if it's really opinions or it's it's questions. You know, um, 
last week I talked about the, the tuition crisis and I already received two emails from people with suggestions of how to solve it and I wish I was in charge of anything so that I could do this. But as our show grows from the thousands, hopefully into the tens of thousands, and I have a bigger audience with which to be able to spread my, my uh, wisdom yeah, maybe I'll start doing this. But there has been a suggestion that maybe after we have the show, there should be a certain period of time wherein we could answer questions so that if people want to submit questions, they'll have that options. So uh, these are just some ideas that we're throwing out. Like I say, this is a work in progress. This is the episode eight of the podcast or of the uh, half-hour weekly Parsha insights that are also posted on the internet, whatever you like. And uh, whether you're watching on Torah Anytime or on YouTube, uh, iTunes, anywhere you listen to podcasts, please subscribe Yeah, and uh, tell your friends, those of you who are social media savvy, put this up on your, on your WhatsApp groups, on your um, Facebook groups, on your Instagrams, things, uh, pages, uh, um, you know, uh, those of you who uh, spray graffiti on the walls, you might want to do that. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> you got to be careful. You got to be careful, you know. Before Pesach, I was doing, I was talking about how Dom is such a central role. I said, you know, you had the Demaya Chayi, we put blood on the doorposts, you know what I mean? Uh, the Dom of the Bris Mila, Dom of the Kurm Pesach, I said, the 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 uh, the blood of the Christian child in the matzahs, you know. And I look around, and people are taking notes. And I said, no, 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 that is a joke. <laughs> joke, please. Please. At the last meeting of the, at the, of the Council of Elders of Zion, we outlawed that, so we don't do that anymore. <laughs> and sure enough, someone's writing down, Council of Elders of Zion. These are jokes, okay? I just, I have to go on, on, on record with this. Yeah. Rabbi Chait. Um who was Shiva of Chavetz Chaim and Yitzchel. He learned by Reb David Leibowitz. And he saw there was a sefer that quoted Reb David saying a particular pshat. And he's looking at it and he says, I was in that shir. That was a joke. <laughs> he said it was a joke and he wrote it down for real. So uh, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. Yeah. Okay. So um, so let's get down to business. I'm still, I'm still my thoughts that I'm sharing at this point, although I do go off on tangents, yeah? Um, but uh, the thoughts, for the most part, I'm trying to have it linked to the Parsha. And this week is Parsha's Vayeshev, wherein we, from here to the end of the story, we are dealing with the dramatic story of Mechiris Yosef. And when I say from here to the end of the Sefer, I have to say, from here to the end of time. And this tension of Mechiris Yosef, which rears its head in the Asaruge Malchus, which rears its head in, in other historical areas, this, this is a problem that uh, plagues the Jewish people. Ad hayomazeh. So um, uh, we, need to, we need to examine every aspect of it, and that's why I'm going to deal with one aspect that has nothing to do with it. Yeah? Because at the end of the story, Yosef has charges, false charges brought against him. Yeah? 
and he is thrown into prison. Yosef, of course, who has this Midas HaChain, yeah, you cannot keep him down. He rises to the top wherever he is. Sell him as a slave, he becomes the head slave. Throw him into prison, becomes the head prison, becomes the head of Egypt. There's no, you can't, you can't keep Yosef down. Yeah? So Yosef becomes the head of the prison. And two important people are thrown into prison, into his prison. And since he's in charge, he's in charge of them. One is Sarah Mashke, and one is the Sarah Oifa. The royal baker and the royal, um, and the royal drinkmeister. Yeah? Uh, they, they translate it as butler, but it's not butler. He's the person who's in charge of the drinks. The royal bartender. I don't, I don't know what would be an appropriate term for him. But that's his job, is to be able to provide, provide the drinks. Um, we don't appreciate this today. We don't appreciate this today because we all live in areas where it is easy to get clean drinking water, for the most part, most parts of the world. If not, there are definitely the technology to make that possible. That was not always the case. Yeah, the Bach, when he gives his famous heter for why chadosh can be used in chutzlaretz, uh, and he, he paskins that way. Obviously, it's machlekes in the Gemara, but he comes out that way. Is he says because arachayim is totally either on wine or beer. Our lives depend on either wine or beer. Okay. Now, to some people out there, this will be very easy to understand. <laughs> Our lives depend on either wine or beer. What does that mean? So, Rabbi Meiselman, the Shiva of Teres Maisha, explained that because the water was so often um, contaminated, you had to treat the water. And one of the ways of treating the water was to make it into beer. Yeah? In certain countries, it was wine. Fascinating. Barbara Tuckman, the famous historian who is best known for her work, The Guns of August, um, but she wrote a book called The Distant Mirror about the 14th century. And she's describing one of the Crusades, and they said one of the big problems was that they were running out of wine. And that's what they drank. They didn't drink water, they drank wine. That's what she describes. So Meiselman suggests that the beverage, that the liquid content of your diet was processed in, by which, which meant you drank beer. Beer was your, your mainstay, what you drank when you sat down to drink. Yeah. And it would have been impossible to store up enough beer for an entire year so that if you didn't, you know, uh, allow uh, chadash, uh, people wouldn't be able to drink. Yeah, I don't mean drink like drink. I mean eat, drink. <laughs> yeah, uh, depends where you put the emphasis. But in any event, uh, that's, the, uh, that's the idea of, uh, uh, of drinking, right? So preparing the cup for paro, which was seen as a, um, uh, an act of nobility. I, I don't know if this is appropriate to say. That doesn't mean I'm not going to say it. I'm just saying it up front. I don't know if it's appropriate to say it. Louis XIV, who was probably one of the most choshev 
European monarchs in history had somebody who was responsible, a nobleman, and they would and they would um, fight for this position to be able to attend to his chamber pot. I'm not going into any more details. I'm going to leave it at that. You can go look it up on your own if you happen to find this topic particularly fascinating. But, uh, you know, everything that the king did was to go on Hashimus. So the one who was there to bring him his cup, this was a major deal. And he messed up. He messed up because he gives him the cup and there's a fly in the cup. Yeah. There's a fly. Yeah. Which, in vaudeville... You know, you know how many jokes there were about that? You know, waiter, there's a fly in my soup. You know, uh, don't tell everybody they'll want one too. You know, uh, waiter, what's this fly doing in my soup? It looks like the backstroke. You know? uh, waiter, why is there a fly in my soup? I can't help it if the cook used to be a tailor. On and on and on. There's these ideas. But, but uh, he had a fly in, and, and Pyro, like most Pyros, were notorious for having no sense of humor. <laughs> he throws the guy in prison. And the Sa'ofa, who was the official baker, and to be the royal baker or the royal pastry chef or to be the royal cook, these were very hush of positions. Yeah? Um, there are certain dishes that have been created specifically for kings. I remember reading about one of them. I have never tried to make it. I forgot what it's called. I saw it once in a cookbook. I was intrigued by it. Somehow you make French fries, and when they're limp, you drop them into hot oil and they pop, and they become like, like much larger. This is, this is something that happened once where one of the chefs had prepared it for the king, and the king you know, came to dinner late and they had turned limp and so he refried them and they popped. I don't know the exact method. I'm sorry, those of you who are out there who are more, uh, who are more of a foodie than I am will be able to, um, will be able to, uh, I'm sure, explain. You know, you can feel free to post this on any of our sites where they, uh, where they accept comments. But, um, uh, and uh, just a quick word, Foodie is a new word. I, I, my mother subscribed to Gourmet Magazine. Uh, a foodie is not a gourmet. A gourmet is somebody who appreciates great food. A foodie is somebody who appreciates food. So he'll tell you the best um, dining truck to buy a hero. You understand? Because it incorporates all types of food, not just uh, not just gourmet food. I thought I would share that with you. Any event, so the baker brings him his his pastry, bread, whichever it was. He bites it. There was a stone inside of it, and and uh, Pyro was very upset, and he throws him to prison. The two of them are thrown into prison, and uh, Yosef is in charge, and Yosef knows he's in charge of these guys. He's supposed to be taking care of the prisoners. Even though their social status is much higher than his. That's something that we don't really appreciate today, especially those of us who are Americans. But for most of world history, there was a caste system. There was an aristocracy. And who you were and where you stood in society was extremely important. 
and people took these things very seriously. To this day in India, it is still mekubal in many places that people in a lower caste um, don't disagree with people in a higher caste. This, this, this uh, exists. There was a Air Korea flight that crashed, and when they examined it, they realized that part of the problem was the culture. It was Korean culture that went into it, and that is that you, since the pilot was of a higher social status, none of the lower officers could contradict him. And even though he was making a mistake that proved to be fatal, nobody could contradict him because it was on a higher level. So Yosef, who is a Hebrew, a Hebrew who was a despised person, yeah, and that's why it says the, Rashi says later on, the Egyptians would never eat with an ivory. Um, nonetheless, he sees these two officers and he sees they're unhappy. He says, why are you unhappy? So we had dreams and we can't interpret them. Yosef says, as it happens, I have a little experience with dreams. Perhaps I can help. Yeah. Now, I don't know if it tells us about the desperation of these people that they were willing to turn to a Hebrew slave in prison, Hebrew slave um, accused rapist, yeah, for help, or just because Yosef had this mida of chen that he was able to reach out to people that people liked him. That's what chen is. Chen is a very... Uh, um, uh, Rav Henech Leibowitz, the Rosh Yeshiva Chavetz Chaim, some guys were going out to collect for the yeshiva, and they said, give us a brach that we should be matzliach. He says, I can't, because everyone has free choice. So I can't tell them uh, that they should give you money, but I give you a bracha that you should have chen. When you have chen, so you know that. There are certain people who come and ask you for money, and you're more willing to be accommodating than you are with certain other people. There's certain people you like, and you just you, you feel that you feel that that connection to them. Yeah. So Yosef had this midas this power to be able to connect, and um, and so he said, "What's the matter?" So they shared with him, and each one of them tells him his dreams. So first, first the Sarmashke goes, and he tells him about his dream, and Yosef tells him. It's going to be three days. Three days, Pyro is going to call you up. He's going to judge your case and he's going to return you to your position. And so he tells the Sao Ofa, This is what your dream means. In three days, you're going to be judged by Pyro. He's going to sentence you to death. Right? That's the story. And he tells the Sao Mashkim, He says, And when you return to your position, tell Pyro. Tell Pyro, uh, that I'm innocent. Yeah, I'm a victim of circumstances. Uh, these are these are charges are false. Yeah, not my fault. None of this ever really happened, you know. And put in a good word for you with Pyro. After all, I came to your aid. I helped you out. Brought you good news. Yeah, and. What's the end of the story? The end of the story is that it happened exactly as Yosef said. The Sarah Mashkin was returned to his position. The Sarah was killed. And the last Pusik in the Parsha is Velozocha Sarah Mashkin as Yosef Vishkahehu. 
He didn't remember him, and he forgot him. And the last Pesach is, Yosef, And the Sar Mashkim did not remember Yosef, and he forgot him. What's the Kefal Lashen? Why are we repeating this? Yeah, it's redundant. It's unnecessary. It's repetitious. <laughs> right? So why, why are we saying it again? He didn't remember him and he forgot him. Duh! If you don't remember him, then you forget him. So says the Medrash, uh, he didn't remember him and he forgot him. What does that mean? He forgot him? It was an act of forgetting. He actively forgot him. Remember, forgetting is the easiest thing in the world. I remember the time that I... Um, no, it's not important. But uh, to forget something, so easy to forget something. Just forget about it. Yeah? So the Medrash says he made a Seder, Yishkachehu. Every day he would work to forget him. So I mentioned him earlier. I mentioned him again. Rav Hanach Leibowitz, Rashiv of Chavetz Chaim, asked on this Medrash. I don't understand. How hard is it to forget? And to make a Seder in forgetting? And he says something that is so incredibly important. So incredibly important. You forget that there's a Yetzir Tov. We're always talking about the Yetzir Hara. And we're always talking about the force of evil. And we're always talking about how bad everybody is and the terrible potential and all these terrible things. But you forget that you also have a Yetzir Tov. You forget that you have a force of good in you. And so the Sarah Mashkim wanted to just forget about Yosef, but every now and then, every now and then, every day, he would say, you know, the guy did you a teufa. The guy helped you out. He was there for you. He had to work to ignore the fact that Yosef did this chesed for him in order to be able to forget about him. This is so important because we tend to work to the worst aspect of people. We tend to be mashpil everybody and look at how bad they are. And don't get me wrong, there's plenty of bad in the world and we talk about it many weeks. <laughs> we talk about problems. But we forget the godless of people. And we talk a lot about evil. Talk about bad things that people do. We talk about it on this podcast. We talk about problems that exist and how people, uh, you know, do bad things. And we know, we know people are petty. We know people are angry. We know people are... But we forget that people have a Yetzirah Tov. People are driven to do good. Yeah? There was somebody who had learned by Chaim Salavechik and he gave it up, and he went to Einstein, you know, and uh, he saw, I think it was of Yoshebeer, I think it was, and he says to him, I curse your grandfather every day. So I don't believe in this stuff anymore, I want nothing to do with it, but what can I do? He filled me with such a love for Torah that I, that I, I just can't help myself, just can't help myself. You know, I sit and learn, I sit and learn, I don't want to. I don't want to, you know. There are, there are Jews who have been written off. 
There's no hope for them. No hope for them. And then all of a sudden, they do some act of goodness. There's some, there's some act of kindness where all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they suddenly wake up. You know? People have a tremendous capacity to do evil. And there are people who do evil in this world. But people have a capacity to do good. We do ourselves and the world a terrible disservice when we ignore that. When we do not see the good in people and in their ability. When I say the good in people, I don't mean the potential good in people. I mean the fact that they have a Yetzir Tov and they're ready to do good. They will do good. They will help things. We just, we just don't see it because we're so busy looking at the negative. Yeah? It's a famous vart by Pesach. It says, when you, when you burn the chametz, you burn the, the, uh, the Badikas chametz kit along with it. Okay, the feather, it, it, it scooped up the, the chametz. came in contact with the chametz. It was, it was, you know, scooping up the It was uh, brushing the chametz. And the spoon, the spoon carried the chametz, had the chametz in it. Why are you burning the candle? Yeah. Because a candle that can only find bad has no key. All you looked at is the bad. Yeah. That's a famous story. A famous story with Leza Silva, who was in the uh, DP camps after World War II. And he came to help the Yidna were there. So while he was there, he was making a, he was making a minion. And he was, uh, he was trying to um, uh, put together a minion. And, uh, and he asked this Yid, would you come and daven with us? And he said, I would never daven again. He says, why? He says, because I was in Auschwitz. And I saw somebody smuggle in a sitter. And he used to charge people a half a day's rations to use that sitter for five minutes. We were already on starvation rations. Do you know what it meant for someone to give up a half a day rations? And this guy was charging people a half a day rations in order to be able to, to use that sitter. After I saw that, I said I would never daven again. And Reverend Laser Silva said, why did you look at the guy who was charging for the sitter? Why didn't you look at all the Yidden who were willing to give up a half a day's rations? just to be able to, to daven from a sitter. Look how precious tefillah is. We look at the bad guy. We look at the bad guy and we look at the bad things that they do and we, we forget. We forget all the good things. Very few people are perfect in this world. Everybody is, is uh, limited. Some people more, some people less, you know. And what do we look at? We look at the flaws. It was a famous exercise where uh, this uh, fellow, this professor, gives the class this white paper with a little blue dot on it. And he says to him, what do you see? Write down on a piece of paper what you see. And everybody wrote down a blue dot. And he said, 99.99% of the paper is white, and all you could see was the blue dot. We're very good at picking out the flaws. We see flaws. We see the imperfections. And people go dating today, you know. And 
They're very good at picking out the flaws. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about serious flaws. But do we also see the good? Do we also see the side of the person that's good? Because there's people are complicated. Now, I'm, I'm not even saying you should marry them. <laughs> don't get me wrong, yeah? But do you see the good? Do you see the tzaddik in the person? Chavot Chaim was in an inn, and this burly Russian soldier comes in, and he orders food, and he's cursing, and he's acting disgusting, and everybody is deeply offended by this Russian soldier, Jew. And he says to the Chavot Chaim, they say to the Chavot Chaim, he was in the inn, he says, could you say something to this man? The implication being like, you know, curse him out of existence, you know what I mean? Kind of... and the Chavot Chaim goes over to him and says, what a tzaddik you are, all those years in the Russian army, and you didn't convert. And the burly Russian soldier started to cry, and he said, Rebbe, you don't know what they did to me. They took me away from my family when I was a small child. They put me in the army for 20 years. They beat me. They starved me to get me to convert. They knew I was a Jew. But I never gave up. I knew I was a Jew. And the Chavetz Chaim was able to bring this person back. I told this over once to a group of Machanchim, and they said, what a great line. Like, let me jot it down next time I meet a big, burly Russian Jewish soldier. What a tzaddik you are. All those years in the Russian army, you didn't convert. No. You remember the Talmudim of Rabbi Yochum and Zaka, and he told him, go out and find what the best midah is, and Rabbi Yezim and Herkina says, ayin tov. You know what ayin tov is? It means that at the end of the sixth day of creation, at the end of the sixth day of creation, after Adam and Chava have already sinned, ate from the tree, death has come to the world, and he, everybody is kicked out, kicked out of Gan Eden, and like that's it, the world, the whole plan is messed up. Kim. Tov Ma'od. He saw it as very good. That's an Ayin Tov. Ayin Tov means that you see everything, you can see the good. And like I say, that doesn't mean you have to ignore the flaws. But if you only see the flaws, Chavetz Chaim looked at this guy who everyone saw as a Russia, and he saw it Sadik, the same person. And they all had the same information. He would never Ruach HaKodesh. It wasn't Ruach HaKodesh he was using. Everyone knew about this, this method of taking away children from their, from their families and putting them in the army for 20 years. Everybody could have figured this out. It's easy to be mavatal. Every left, Rev. Moshe Matas Yahu and star of uh, soccer videos. Yeah, um, he said, uh, he says, you know, today, the biggest guy is the one who can be mavatal the most people. And if you can mavatal everybody, you can mavatal gadol you can mavatal this, the more you can mavatal, the bigger you are. Eh. Eh. But if you have the midivayin tov, it means that you can look at the same thing and see the good. The sahimashkin, what would have been easier than to forget about Yosef? But he couldn't. It, it bothered him. It, it weighed him down. The world's a complicated place. The world's a complicated place. What a wonderful exercise it is to be able to look at good. I was talking to a guy about to go to out of town, work in Kiev. He asked me the following question. Should I get divorced from my wife before I go or after I get there? 
I said, oh, there are problems in your marriage? Watch this Talmudic logic. Oh, there are problems in your marriage? <laughs> he says, yes, my wife's the worst person in the world, terrible at that. I said, tell me three good things about your wife. And he stood there like this. And it was a very long pause. And he finally said, I can't think of anything. I said, and you're going to go into Kirov? You can't come up with three good things about your wife? I can meet somebody on the bus and tell you three good things about him. I said, this woman who you had children with, who you, you share a room with, who, who cooks for you and cleans for you and, you know, and does your laundry, you can't come up with three good things to say about her? I said, your, your anger has so twisted your ability to see the truth. It's such, a good, it's such a good experience. Try it. Look at somebody you don't know and find three good things about them. Have a conversation with somebody and try to see the good in that person. That doesn't mean that you have to be blind to, to flaws. But the more that you look to find the good, the good is there. Very few people in this world are black and white. Very few. Yeah, Gemara tells us we're all bane in him. Every one of us is inconsistent in our behavior. We have good parts, we have bad parts. The difference between sinna and ava is what you choose to focus on. You have these people who are best friend, they get into a fight and they say, well, are you not talking to them anymore? No, they're the worst person in the world and they did this and they did this and they did this. And then at some point they make up. I said, oh, you're friends with this person? You're the worst person in the world. I said, what do you mean? They're so good, they're so wonderful, they said this, they tell you all their great miles. Both are true. Because we have bad parts and we have good parts. And we spend so much time talking about the Yetzirah, and don't get me wrong, the power of evil should be treated with respect. But so should the power of good. And just remember what Rashi tells us. Every, the power of good is 500 times more powerful than the power of evil. And the more that we can appreciate the good and see that in people and see that in the world and look for the situation where you can mamish find the good, and the happier we're going to be in life. And the more likely we are to be able to judge people favorably, to be able to undo the sinus chinim that was, a, became a part of Klai through Mechiris Yosef. And Amir Hashem, when we're metaking that which the base of Migdash was destroyed for, then Amir Hashem will be zeichet to see an emesagula. And if you'd like to find out more about this show, you can visit the website, rabbiolowski.com slash podcast. If you would like to comment on this particular episode, it's rabbiolowski.com slash podcast slash eight, because this is episode eight, hard to believe. And um, uh, if you want to find out about my future event schedule, as I mentioned last week, uh, Shabbos of December 14th and 15th, I'm going to be in the Aguda of Madison. December 19th, I'm going to be in Florida in the Youngersville Balhaba. And I have that week uh, still some dates available. So please contact rabbiolowski.com slash events to find out about more things. And if you'd like to contact Rabbi himself, <laughs> somebody sent a, a, uh, an email and they said, I can't believe Rabbi Olavsky himself is answering. That's what happens when you contact RabbiOlavsky.com slash contact. You actually send an email to me and I can be personally offended. <laughs> I meant I can personally respond to your beautiful comments and uh, ideas. So that's it. 
Mirza Hashem will be here next week for our special Hanukkah edition of the Rabbi Olavsky Show. You don't want to miss that because it's going to be truly festive. Mm-hmm.